Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. One of the big challenges with the COVID-19 situation is that uh, it's really important to understand how the epidemic is moving and uh, what's changing and what um, levels of disease are in particular communities. One of the things that's been really hard is that um, unlike the usual flu season, things are happening at different areas of the state in different areas of the countries at different times. So this is creating kind of this higher burden knowledge that we need to be able to figure out um, what is happening in this particular location? Where, how many cases are there? Are they going higher? Are they going lower? How best to measure that as best of a level of granularity as possible, uh, in order to be able to make decisions that are right for that particular state, instead of making decisions kind of at a larger level that may or may not work for, you know, for instance, reopening when a state has started to go up would be, you know, really uh, bad for that region. We have a team at School of Public Health that is focused on these ideas of how do we best measure what's going on in Michigan and how best to do that in as quick a fashion and as responsive a fashion as possible. One of the big pieces of that is a collaboration between the School of Public Health and the School of Information in the mystartmap.info dashboard. And that is, you know, brings the strength of the School of Information and in being able to display uh, these numbers in a way that's really useful to people. It's also kind of founded on a really intense review of different ways of measuring the epidemic and balancing different pieces of information against each other uh, that was sort of developed by the team at School of Public Health. One of the things that we've found, and I think people are finding across the country, is that there's not one number that fully captures everything that's going on. You want to look at testing patterns, testing positivity. You want to be looking at how cases are changing. You want to look at how deaths are changing. And so being able to balance a suite of information together is important to being able to make decisions, but it's also really challenging to have something that's complex to consider instead of just sort of one number that turns a light switch on or a light switch off. For individuals, we all have our own level of comfort with risk and how we perceive risk. We also come from our um, own individual places in terms of how risk, high risk we are um, individually based on maybe medical conditions that we may have or age that we have, or maybe our contact with people that we love that we might want to protect in different ways. And so the more that we know about what community circulation looks like and how much disease is in our broader community, the more that enables us to make smart decisions on an individual level about how much we want to hold back our interactions or how much we want to bring them forward as more things are approved to open. Now, on a business level, it's sort of the same thinking. The more that you know, the more that you can be prepared. And I think about that as, um, you know, if you've got particularly high rates in your community and you're at a business that's considering um, opening more or doing more or bringing your employees further along in the re-engagement process, that brings with you a sign that you need to think carefully about how to do that in as safe a way as possible. So what kind of mitigation strategies can you be bringing in? Um, how can you change your spaces that employees are in, in ways that make them safer? How can you provide face coverings in ways that will make people safer? And so I think being able to see what's going on around us at a community level helps us make those 
individual decisions as people, but then as, as business owners about, you know, how to kind of take care of the people we care about. We tap into the cases and deaths data that the state collects as part of their public health activities. As part of other roles that I have at University of Michigan, we actually have a lot of data on all respiratory viruses through the work that we do that was built to monitor influenza virus. And so we can tap into those sources of data to see how COVID is spreading in communities and in people who might not be sick enough to go to the doctor, who might be having mild illness, they don't see the need to go get a test, but we would test them as part of these research efforts to kind of get a sense on how virus is traveling in different levels of illness in the community. One way I would love to see that data improve is kind of integrating the use of uh, these, there's a lot of symptom apps and surveys and ways to use this kind of simple question of how many Michiganders are sick right now to get early warning signals um, in terms of areas that might be starting to experience an early outbreak that hasn't shown up in the testing yet and in the case identification. And so being able to build those symptom reporting systems in a more robust way, I think will set us up for being faster and more nimble responders to the outbreak as we move forward in the coming months and, and try to build our system in a way that we'll be able to deal with this for a bit of time. I think that continued reopening and re-engagement of different sectors comes with it a responsibility to be able to respond very quickly if there's a problem and then make decisions to protect people if you know a certain sector reopens and and with that follows a rise of infections. You wanna be able to act as quickly as possible. One of the most frustrating things about this virus is that because of the long lag time between when somebody gets infected and when they show symptoms and then when they get a test and a test result means that you have to act very quickly because once some, you find out about somebody, they've actually been infected for five to 10 days or more. And so these systems are critical to be able to have that fast and nimble response to potential problems. There are a lot of early trials that happen when you first have a new vaccine, like we will have when it's ready for COVID, where they measure the safety and they measure, you know, they used randomized trials to measure how often people's immune systems react to the vaccine. But then once it's being used in the wider population, you can, I could be able to do that because you can't give somebody a placebo if, they, if there's a vaccine that we're pretty sure is going to work. And so what we do, and we do this every year for the flu vaccine, is you follow people that get sick with a syndrome that looks like COVID and you ask them whether or not they were vaccinated. And by comparing those who are vaccinated and not and people who have COVID versus people who might have other respiratory viruses that kind of look like COVID, you can inform whether or not that vaccine is preventing a substantial amount of disease for, uh, that's being caused by COVID specifically. So this is what we do every year for influenza. There's numbers that come out from the CDC that say the vaccine is 60% effective this year or whatnot for influenza. That number actually partially comes out of the University of Michigan. So we already have the systems built to be able to do that for flu. And I imagine we'll do much similar calculation for COVID. I think that there's a lot of open questions about how best to make a vaccine and what it's going to be able to do. Vaccines can prevent infection from occurring in the first place, but sometimes the purpose of vaccines is to, maybe they may not prevent infection completely, but they may either reduce the severity of the infection or they may reduce the amount of infection that's occurring in one person in a way that prevents them from transmitting to the next. And so I'd like people to keep an open mind in terms of 
we may not get our perfect vaccine first right out the gate. It could be safe, but it could work in ways that, you know, are these other variations of something that prevents you from transmitting the disease, for instance. And those could be incredible advances for public health, even if they don't work the way we think of uh, the measles vaccine working, for instance, right off the gate. The other thing to think about is that we are gonna be probably using these vaccines before we have a sense of how long each dose lasts. And so what you could be seeing is a vaccine that needs boosters and, and um, yearly doses like we see with the flu vaccine. It's gonna take us a while to find out whether this is a vaccine that needs to be used annually or whether it's a vaccine that you get once and you're good for a long period of the time. So we actually are able to see in flu vaccine data, we're able to see that tipping point of where somebody gets far enough out of their vaccine that perhaps infection rates start to go up. And so we'll be able to see that as well in very similar ways with COVID to be able to watch how long is, uh, is there sort of a, what we call a waning immunity? Do you get to a point where your immunity has um, slowly tapered off to the point where it's not protecting you fully anymore? There's a lot of attention to vaccine development spaces right now, but I also don't want people to forget that development of antivirals is also really important. And so if we get a therapeutic, especially something that can be taken orally or be taken easily without being in the hospital and um, can be something that acts relatively quickly, that also could be incredible in terms of being able to stop the pandemic in the meantime while we wait for a vaccine to be developed. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.